is the job of a doctor? It is to cure illness and in general is to solve all illness. Well, that's a wonderful goal. I don't think any individual doctor is thinking, oh my God, if I actually cured all of my patients, I'm not going to have a living. (laughs) Yeah, but it would be a heck of a lot easier. And good for society. <laughs> it's like when, you know, when you're driving on the expressway, the only way you can drive is you look at the horizon, right? It's a hypothetical point, five, 10 miles down the road. If you look straight in front of you in a car, you'd crash. And it's the same way with leadership. And clearly from what you're saying, the same with HR, which is you keep on working to perfect your team and your function. It's a hypothetical future that you're not going to reach, but you have to go aim for it. That's your point of becoming excellent. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Hello, Rebel HR listeners. Thank you for joining us this week. Really excited for the conversation with us today. We have Robert Jordan. He is co-founder and head of the leadership at Interim Execs. Uh, Has a new book written with Olivia Wagner called Right Leader, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company. We're going to be talking all about leadership today. Really excited to get into the conversation. Robert, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'm really excited for it. And we we had a great conversation um, uh, just before I hit record here. This is going to be a a lot of fun to dig into. Um, I do want to start off uh, just to learn a little bit more about you and your background here, uh, Robert. Tell us a little bit about your leadership journey and ultimately what led you to write a book about leadership. I I have your classic entrepreneur. It, it's, I'm glad you named uh, this rebel HR. I, I have a classic <laughs> entrepreneur background. Uh, early in my career, I started the first magazine anywhere that covered online and internet. Um, it, it sounds impressive because we predicted the internet beforehand, but uh, the other way we describe it is any mistake you could make in business. Um, I, I made it, I, including some <laughs> wonderfully boneheaded HR moves like hiring one of my best friends and not thinking, well, what happens if this goes wrong? <laughs> I can tell you what happens is then for the rest of your life, there's a little cloud over that friendship. Uh, it's not the right person. But um, so I have background uh uh, launching uh, uh, a lot of a bunch of companies, um, some that failed and some that did remarkably well. I've now been in three IPOs, and um, I developed a particular expertise for myself around helping investor groups reach an exit. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs they're really great on the front end, the idea, the vision, the passion, and if they haven't done it before, generally they're not so good at figuring out exactly. You know, if you're not going to go public, if you're not one in a million, uh, what are you going to do to get a return for your investors? I got good at that. And over time, uh, kind of fell into this job title of interim CEO. And when social networks came around, MySpace, Facebook, LinkedIn, we launched an organization that's now known as Interim Execs. And it, it has a team called Red Team. Red stands for Rapid Executive deployment. 
And so organizations from around the world call us and we are a matchmaker for uh, project needs in the C-suite. If there's a need for a CEO, CFO, CIO, or a team to take on a special project. Interesting. And, and I think that's that's going to be a perfect transition to what we're going to be talking about today, which is the the distinct leadership styles and when they're appropriate to uh, uh, to leverage. And and I so let's let's keep going down that path of kind of the entrepreneur because I can imagine that many entrepreneurs probably started their company because they just had a d- desire to build something or to create something or they love the customer, or they just had kind of a, an itch to scratch. Um, but when you get to a point where, yeah, you have to exit or scale up or or become more, quote, corporate, you know, that's a pretty tough transition for, <laughs> for many folks. Um, and I think many HR professionals, a lot of times we're kind of, we're kind of on the sidelines watching this and wondering, you know, why why are my leaders struggling right now? Or, you know, all this change and, um, you know, growth, maybe where, you know, expectations are changing. Maybe we had a, an ownership structure change and now expectations from that ownership group are different. Um, you know, there, there's just, there's so much there. And from our seat, a lot of times we're trying to help lead through that. And a lot of times we are trying to figure out what's going on. You know, how can we help our teams be successful? And when do we know when, somebody is the right fit or when the role is, is right for this person. Um, so before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about um, the distinct leadership styles that you have observed and that you cover um, in your book. Sure. And, and before we dive in, Kyle, I do have to say I'd, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a time that where it is not more vital for HR folks to show leadership mm. and where your leadership is needed. Um, we could dive into anything which is related to those challenges, such as the great resignation. Um, we are in, we are in a time of greater fluidity and mobility and where voice um, among people who are coming into the workforce and not that many years in it is completely different from our parents or our grandparents' generation of what it is to work in a company. Uh, you, you look at so many hot button issues that HR now has to address or has to, at a minimum, be in a support role um, to the rest of the leadership team. I have in mind, not that I want to go there, but Disney, you know, Disney employees launched a website around the CEO. Uh, the website is many of your Listeners, I'm sure know it's called Where is Bob Chapek? That never would have happened in a prior generation of business. A public kind of protest against your own CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is a it is a new day and age. There's, you know, there's a megaphone available for people. Um, and yeah, the the virality <laughs> opportunity of frustration, right? Um yeah, and, and I think we've we've seen that, um, you know, when you look at things like, you know, kind of the trend of like woke CEOs, right? Like individuals who actually want their company to stand up for whatever their social views are. Um, yeah, and that's, 
that's not anything that I ever learned in my PHR certification course. You know, <laughs> no, none of us ever, none of us have. <laughs> like, what and do we do with that? There is, there is some degree to which social awareness behooves all of, all of us, I believe. And then there's a line beyond which it's like, how deeply is a corporation supposed to go? Right. So, you know, when you see a major investor like BlackRock, and for years now they have been advocating for some form of awareness, for example, on the environment, it's just, it's not acceptable anymore for a corporation, um, never mind the law in terms of, say, pollution. Um, there's a responsibility here, right? Um, but how far is this going to go you know, in terms of political direction? Well, you and I can have an answer as managers in a business. The employees in the company could have a completely different idea of how far or not that is. But that's a challenge, and that that is where the HR function, I think, becomes more and more vital and and less of, oh, it's just it, the, the administrative side of it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you're, you're a great fit for the podcast because that's basically what we say every single show, I think, <laughs> in, in one way, shape, or form. Um, and so often, you know, we are, first of all, we have to demonstrate self-leadership. So, you know, we have to be leaders ourselves. But then we're also trying to coach other leaders on how to, you know, appropriately respond to situations and, you know, what kind of training and development do we need to put leaders through so that they can be prepared for, for some of the, uh, you know, the disruptive environment that we're in. Um, and then probably most importantly, how do I pick the right leader to, to, you know, to step into a department? Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I can give you more case studies than I would like to admit about uh, individuals who have hired to go into leadership roles that looked great on paper and had every single letter behind their name that you would want them to have. Uh, but if they weren't the right fit, if it wasn't that right seat on the bus, you know, so to speak, then uh, it was an epic disaster, <laughs> really. Or, you know, it was just it, you know, it, it was something where it was there was always something off. Right. We just never really got where we wanted to go. And, and you know, I, I think a lot, everybody that's listening to this right now is probably shaking their head up and down going, yep, yep, I've been there. <laughs> and compounding all of this is, is the, ro the remote nature mm. of some of work. You know, yep. so, for example, Kyle, you and your company, because you're actually manufacturing real things, <laughs> you know, there are people that have to show up. But for much of, of work in the world that that where you could be remote makes the job uh, of evaluating, hiring, uh, recruiting, training even harder because it's much harder to see body language. And if we're not going to physically be in contact every single day, um, the challenge is magnified. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not that the challenge is different, but it's, it's harder. You know, it's, it's, you, you can't be lazy anymore. And, you know, randomly bump into one of your uh, direct reports who might be having a rough day at the water cooler and read their nonverbals and say, oh, you know, is everything OK? You know, now you might be sitting on a Zoom screen and they're like they've got a box of tissues and they're having the, like, the worst day of their life. But they're smiling and like acting in front of the screen for you. And unless you have that level of relationship, you'll never know. Right. And I think I think we're seeing some of that. Well, you're you're touching on. um in, in the book, and I know we're going to talk about this, right leader, right time, 
we identified these four distinct leadership styles. We also identified the three common elements among these extraordinary leaders. And one of those common elements, the way we put it, is no hiding. Mm. And it was a phrase that one of the leaders we interviewed for a prior book used. He talked about the difference between being at a big pharmaceutical company as opposed to when he had his own company and there were only a couple hundred employees. And at one point, when he was only in the smaller company, he said, you know, you can't hide. <laughs> he said, at a big company, you know, you can you can hide. And these days, when it comes to everyone being remote, you can hide for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, take it from, from someone who used to work at a company of 300,000 that eventually got to a company with 1,300. That is that is true. <laughs> yeah. The smaller you go, the less the less dark corners there are to hide in. So you just got to be better. <laughs> All right, so let's shift gears because I, I want to dig into these and and um, and I, I really I think it's really important that we put a label to some of these these things because leadership in and of itself I think uh, is a term that can be uh, very muddy. Right. It can mean a lot of different things. And so I think one of the things I love about your approach is that you've you've really kind of defined this into four distinct styles. Um, so what are the what are the four styles uh, of, of leadership? The four leadership styles are fixer, artist, builder and strategist. And one of the things our research pointed out is that there is no more one size fits all. It's very interesting that there are other fields, there are other professions where this came around years ago, and yet when it comes to business leadership, this really still hasn't dawned on most businesses. So, for example, in medicine, Kyle, if, if you had a problem with your foot, I'm going to say, Kyle, you, you really ought to go see a podiatrist. I am not going to say, you know, I know this great heart surgeon. <laughs> really ought to see him for your foot. <laughs> and this is so obvious to us now in the Western world. It is the same, for example, in law. If you've got this brilliant thing you want to go patent, do not go to a litigator. Go to a patent lawyer. Well, in leadership, in, in business and in organizations, for-profit, non-profit, we have this kind of transference going on that if someone does one thing well, we start thinking, well, they could do anything great. And it's just not true. That's a great example. Um, <clears throat> and I'm sure that, uh, you know, that heart surgeon probably did read something about the foot in anatomy class like 25 years ago, right? But <laughs> probably not the right person for, exactly. for the, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and the recognition, this has gone on so long and healthcare has come so far. I mean, life expectancy in the Western world is so vastly higher that you don't, it, it's not even a given inside that profession that the heart surgeon will say, oh, no problem. Let me take a look at your foot. Unless they're your friend, they're not going to do it. It's, it's become that clear that expertise has a reason. Not true in leadership of organizations yet. Absolutely. It, it, but I think it's really interesting to think about it in that terms. And you can to, you know, to go back to what I, I had mentioned earlier, when you get muddy 
about what leadership is, um, it gets really hard to select the right leaders and it gets really hard to diagnose, you know, what might be going on. Um, so I think the, you know, the kind of the first question is for us who are sitting here and maybe we have teams of our own, or we are trying to influence others. How do we determine what our leadership style is? It's a great question. Um, I'm going to give you a couple different answers. One of them is that we have been working to develop a leadership style assessment. And because of these four styles, fixer, artist, builder, strategist, FABS, FABS for short, um, we are about to launch the FABS leadership assessment. It is free. It's going up onto uh, a new website we've launched called rightleader.com. So one answer is we welcome everyone to go to rightleader.com and take the assessment and and see if we, we can give you some insight into your style. Okay. The second thing is that I think for a lot of people, simply having the conversation with people that know them or even just thinking about what it is that turns you on is going to be revelatory. So if I gave you a quick description the fixer is the leader who loves running into the burning building. And what we distinguish in terms of that ability is, is that once they fix one situation, they put out one fire, one division, one client, uh, one company, they will tend to gravitate to the next major challenge. And if they're given something that's too steady state, it's going to bore them beyond belief. Okay. Mm. Artist is the person who views the world as a canvas or as a piece of clay. There are standout examples whenever anybody thinks of Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, preeminent artist leader. But many of us are called to or or compelled to feel like an artist leader if you're the person in the organization that you just can't not think up new ideas. It could be anything from messaging to product to service to design, okay? Builder is the person who has market dominance on the brain. This is the person who thinks about taking a division, a team, a client from something at smaller state, generally below scale, and thinking of structure, system, process that will move to some kind of dominance, whether it's in a particular market. Um, I was just in Boston. Boston has this incredible bakery downtown called Tate. They are dominant. They are the greatest pastries in Boston. I don't think they're ever coming to another city, but in Boston, they crush it. There's the heart of a builder in in that local business. And the fourth strategy is strategist. And that leader operates at scale. That is the person who is incredibly comfortable beyond personal span of control. How do you move an organization forward when you're in the thousands or tens of thousands of employees, it's a completely different proposition from the person who is used to say managing 20 or 30 or 50 people. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think about that and um, you know, I, in the context of, of human resources, you know, a lot of times I'm thinking about this as um, when I'm going to market and I'm looking for a new, a new hire you know, and so often we try to, we, we try to put together these, <laughs> these job descriptions that say everything without saying anything, 
write like, you know, every last like two pages on the straps. But, you know, thinking about it in those terms, it's, it's, you know, honestly, I think it's rare that we actually have the conversation about, you know, what does this person need to do in the environment that they're in versus what tasks do they need to achieve, right? So is the department on fire? Get a fixer. Uh, do we need to uh, scale into the thousands and we want somebody that can manage that complexity? Okay, strategist it is, right? But so often we're stuck in just trying to find that perfect candidate as opposed to actually finding the right leader. It's really powerful. I, I think that's that's really interesting. So as you were, were kind of you know researching this and through some of your experience, um, what led you to kind of realize the, the that uh, that these distinct styles really make a difference? And then when can you tell when maybe there's a mismatch there? It's a great question. The it, it, so so our research started through this company, Interim Execs. And at that organization, we had been approached by about 7,000 executives from 50 countries. And in interviewing those folks, what we discovered over time, we started ranking, scoring, screening. What we discovered was the vast majority of leaders are having careers that are just so-so, kind of mediocre, not awful, not necessarily great. And there was a commonality in those folks, which was tending to be too much of all things to all people. There was a kind of dilution going on in terms of taking on too many different roles as opposed to figuring out, as we call it in the book, highest and best use. What is the thing at which I'm completely energized, great? I can never pronounce this author's name, but he wrote the book Flow, writing about you, you know the, this flow experience you have when you're completely in the middle of, of what is uh, your unique ability, as Dan Sullivan would say. So we saw all of this example of what was not optimal. In our experience with Red Team, we would have this ringside seat. We own the client relationship. So we're talking to the board. We're talking to the owners, talking to senior managers while an engagement's going on. And we're saying, how's it going? Are you happy? Is this executive or team doing great? And we're turning around the executive or the team. And we're saying, are you happy? Is, is this awesome? Is this organization the right fit for you? Whatever. And, and this pattern became so glaring, which is these four distinct styles between fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. It was like, this can't be an accident. Then on the one hand, you have this more undifferentiated mass of leaders who are playing more Swiss army knife. I'll do anything. I can solve anything. As opposed to this much more limited group, what we called FABS leaders, who tended to reject more. They rejected more of what they felt was not their highest and best use. So we felt we had to write about that. That's what we're trying to get at. Boy, I feel that. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, and it lines up with, you know, this is more anecdotal, uh, but um, – some of the, you know, some of the research that's out there that's showing, um, showing that like an HR generalist role, 
um, is really potentially not the best use of somebody's talent because it is like you said, it's like that Swiss army knife, but some people are good at certain things and some people are good at other things. And so it's like, if you look at all the, like, you know, Myers-Briggs and PI and all these, you know, all these like personality assessments, basically what they all say is there's a, there's a continuum of what people are good at and they, they, you know, very rarely are they right down the middle. Right. So, so why would you try to like force somebody to do everything across the continuum? Eventually you, you need to try to kind of find that right fit. And it's, it sounds like this is kind of in that same theme. Am I on the right track here? You're totally on the right track. And, and, you know, one of the psychologists, we organizational psychologists, we interviewed for the book, he said, you have to be spiky. And what he meant by that was that if you were looking at a chart or a graph of you, Kyle, or me, or, or anyone else on your team of these desired qualities, traits, skills, all of these things, you need to be spiky in a couple of them. Not all of them. No human being is. And when you think of a team, and you could even think of this in terms of the HR team, what builds in a creative team is different spikiness, that, that what you are, are best at is not going to be the same thing that I'm best at. And that's going to help us to become a better team simply in terms of having that conversation to know each other better. I love that spikiness. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to say, you know, I'm telling my team, my next meeting, hey, I, I need you guys to be more spiky. <laughs> exactly. Be more spiky and we're going to be more creative. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, example I, of this, if, if you don't mind, I mean, and this is on the radical end, I think, for a lot of your listeners. But, you know, we had the good fortune to interview one of Google's um, uh uh, senior managers, and he had a team in the hundreds, which is big for a Google team. And he talked about their continuing drive to self-obsolesce themselves. Hmm. It wasn't with the goal that they were working themselves out of a job at Google, but because Google's mission so much is that things that are done by hand can be automated, that teams we're working very hard to figure out how to go do that. It in no way meant you don't have a job at Google when you get done with the project. You would move on to a new project. But it called for a degree of self-confidence and understanding and faith in the organization, the rest of your team, which is we're going to do the best job we can here, and then we're going to move on to another challenge. It's really interesting thinking even for organizations that are not wired like Google. I love that. Um, in fact, I would argue that should be every HR person's job. Um, our goal should be to be so bored at work because we've got our leaders where they need to be. Our employees know what they're doing. Everybody's trained. We, we don't have any turnover, so we don't have to hire. You know, the only hiring you do is for growth. And we've automated every last administrative headache to the nth degree so that all you have to do is, you know, as a leader is just hit approve or something, you know, like it's it's pie in the sky, but but it doesn't, and it doesn't mean you're going to be fired. No, heck no. I'll get promoted if I do that. (laughs) You go to your doctor. What is the job of a doctor? It is to cure illness and, and in general is to solve all illness. 
Well, that's a wonderful goal. I don't think any individual doctor is thinking, oh, my God, if I actually cured all of my patients, I'm not going to have a living. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, um, but it would be a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> for, right. And good for society. <laughs> because from the HR point of view, I had not considered it. But in a way, it's like when, you know, when you're driving on the expressway, the only way you can drive is you look at the horizon, right? It's a hypothetical point. Five, 10 miles down the road, if you look straight in front of you in a car, you'd crash. And it's the same way with leadership. And clearly from what you're saying, the same with HR, which is you keep on working to perfect your team and your function. It's a hypothetical future that you're not going to reach, but you have to go aim for it. That's, that's your point of becoming excellent. Absolutely. And I think it, from my standpoint, and I think I probably fit into the artist category as I was like sitting here thinking about myself, like from my standpoint, I'm just trying to make sure that people are confident enough in what they're doing, that they can march that path without like going into that self-preservation mindset. Right. Cause we all know that's, that's, that's a quick way down the drain. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately <laughs> we don't have a three hour podcast, uh, but I would encourage everybody to, if you want to dig in, um, you know, we are just scratching the surface here, but the book again is right leader, right time, discover your leadership style for a winning career and company. I think some really great content in here and some things I guarantee you, if you took this fixer, artist, builder, strategist mindset into your next position that you hire for leadership and you ask that question of your team, what do we need? I think you're going to have a better outcome because you're going to get people aligned around what you actually need, as opposed to what do you need this person to do? Um, and that's, I, I think that that's, that's really important, really great, uh, really great insight. Something I'm going to, I'm going to take away from this. With that being said, I want to shift gears. I want to go into the rebel HR flash round. So um, question number one, where does HR need to rebel? I'll leave your your uh, listeners with a phrase cross pollinate and and that's how I want to see you all rebel, which is figure out your spikiness and I'm sure a lot of people know it and just start thinking about the people around you, which is what are they spiky at because that's where we want to support each other. I'm with you and I can guarantee you if I had a bunch of people on my team that were just like me we it would be terrible it'd be an absolutely terrible outcome so I agree, I agree 100 <laughs> percent we wouldn't get anything done we'd have a lot of ideas it'd be super fun uh, but we'd all get fired so <laughs> all right question number two who should we be listening to well I'm fans of of uh, for example David Brooks wrote a book called Second Mountain. And first mountain is those are those things you do for power, status, money, fame, fortune, career. And second mountain is what, what do you do for meaning and significance and commitment? And commitment is a word that resonated for me so strongly that I've been talking with people about that. And it, and it resonated as well because in Right Leader, Right Time, this whole idea of highest and best use is around what are you committed to? All right. Awesome. We'll have to check that out. I am not familiar. So that is a new one I will put on my list. 
Last question. How can our listeners connect with you and get their hands on this book? Uh, that would be great. Uh, they could go to interimexecs.com or they could go to rightleader.com, which is where the FAB's leadership, leadership assessment is. And the book is available. Our distributor and publisher always want us not to just say Amazon. Of course, it's on Amazon, um, <laughs> but it's on tar- it's at Target and Barnes and Noble and everywhere else you find business books. Yeah, highly recommend it. Just, um, you know, a little bit of a teaser today. Um, you know, this is one of those conversations. I think we probably could have kept going um, for, for hours, but just really appreciate you putting the work out there. Um, just wonderful insight into leadership. Um, and we will have all that information in our show notes as well. So open up your podcast player, click in there, and you'll be able to find uh, access to uh, to all of Robert's uh, content there. So uh, Robert, been absolute uh, joy. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Kyle. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.